my name is Brian Martin and welcome to episode 16 of the Running Technique Tips podcast. And I'm now joined by Lisa Biffin, who's going to help me mull over and analyse uh, my recent Melbourne Marathon performance, um, which didn't go according to plan. Mm, I know. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually okay. I think I think other people are more upset than I am. Oh. To be honest, I, I think I've, I think I've reached a uh, philosophical and um, analytical understanding of of what has happened. And I think it's yeah, a good point to uh, reach. You know, it's funny. So yesterday, well, it's actually not funny, literally, but sitting there tracking you yesterday, and I had in the back of my mind a comment you made about you know, it's either going to be boom or bust. And yep. you know, I was tracking you at the start and I thought, oh, you're conservative, you're going well. And then I can't remember what K it was. It might have been maybe the either, uh, I think it was, it was 25K, 25K it yeah. was. So you went through halfway and I was like, you know, he's still on a PB here. And then I was sitting there waiting and I kept on like ferociously tapping my phone going, <laughs> refresh, like where's his result? And then it finally came up and I looked over to my husband and I was like oh no (laughs) yeah Uh, and then I sort of turned from something's happened it might be the calf Mm -hmm. just get to the finish line Brian doesn't matter what happens you've got to become a Spartan (laughs) that's right Yes, I must admit the uh, the the lure of maintaining my streak and becoming a Spartan was probably the only thing that stopped me from um, pulling out. Oh, <laughs> uh, look! I mean, I wasn't out there on the course, but I was going through the roller coaster of emotions with you, like I think so many others yeah. were. But um, look, first of all, well done on finishing. You know, so many people in your situation yesterday just would have said. If- what's the point and stepped off but I think just finishing alone you know putting your ego aside forgetting about your goal time and saying like finishing is a just as enough as achievement as is getting the goal um I think that's a big certainly (laughs) it's certainly an achievement and look you know there were plenty of other people in the same boat as me out there um as well who were struggling um and were still you know determined to to finish um, and I'm sure everyone has their different reasons for why they want to go on and finish in that kind of circumstance um, but yeah they were all out there kind of uh, doing it and yeah I so said one of the consoling things along the way was um, uh, there was a bit of you know camaraderie amongst those that were struggling and uh, certainly you know as well lots of really supportive um, people on the sidelines just kind of cheering any anyone on, everyone on, mm. which, um, no matter how well or badly you were going at the time. Which is a nice thing. I, I do know what, I really do mm. love that about running and sitting here, I had the live stream uh, up on our television. I had my phone with the live updates of people I was tracking and it looked from a spectator's point of view, it looked beautiful. Uh, it didn't actually look windy, but reading through some reports, people were mentioning how windy it was. But then watching the runners and just the pain on, I think, every single person's face, except for Sinead Diver, who, you know, I think we don't really talk about elite results very much here, but no. she, we need to talk about her run. It was, honestly, it was phenomenal. So I think a huge credit to her fastest or course record two hours 25 19 and she looked amazing she got stronger and stronger and stronger and yeah like what a run so hats off yeah first female finisher yeah fastest australian on home soil in the marathon Mm. and fourth fastest australian time ever 
and she's doing it at the uh, the tender age of forty two. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. So she's just been on this, you know, a late late. T- she took up running late, and uh, yeah, late bloomer. Um, Mother of two two young boys, I believe. Yeah. So you know, great Good story, great story, and it, it's really nice to to watch that, and I think celebrate that as well. So well done to her, yeah. and well done to yeah, everyone else think- that finished as well. Absolutely, absolutely, because yeah, although the conditions didn't really play a part in my woes, um, they were challenging for marathon running when it, when it's getting a bit warmer and certainly when it's windy, um, it doesn't make it any easier when it's an event that's um, quite difficult. Yeah, but all right, let's let's talk about your woes, but let's go back. So we left you last time. We'd had a good recap. You were going to drive down to Melbourne on the Saturday with your brother, drop off your personal drinks, relax, have a good dinner. Yep. And hit this race. Yes. Tell us what so, happened. So most most of that went well. Um, uh, <laughs> most of that went well, but I, I must admit, one of the um, I guess my overall theme for this um, recap is heart rate doesn't lie, and I'll kind of get to the the reason why I'm why I'm saying that because there were a number of kind of warning signs that. Um, you know, perhaps we can mull over a bit after I kind of work through the, you know, what happened on during the race and before. Um, but yeah, managed to do all of that prep stuff um, pretty well, um, which was good. And uh, night before, I certainly didn't sleep very well last year before, and that certainly wasn't a performance um, detractor. But yeah, didn't sleep that well this time around either. Um, but the one thing I did notice on the Saturday, and I think I the day before, I think I texted you about it. Is um, I'd had that kind of tight calf in the lead up, and then my foot started tightening up mm. as well. Um, so that was a little bit of a, you know, in hindsight, that was another little warning sign that things not all was well. Um, so yeah, I had to give that a good rub out on um, Saturday. Um, it seemed to kind of loosen up okay. Um, so yeah, look, I got to the got to the start line um all of that was was good um got into managed to sort of sneak up behind where the 320 pace group was which was good um and i could also see the 330 paces um off to my right the the roads kind of split into two with a little barrier down the middle so i thought yeah i've got my two pace groups that i thought i'm probably going to end up running between in the early stages um, so yeah, the, the usual first K, I haven't actually had a look exactly what I run for the first kilometer, but I think it was probably about five minutes, 20 to five minutes, 30. Um, and during all of that time, I was kind of with, or just behind, I think the, um, the 3.30 paces I ended up being behind the, the 3.20, um, paces. They kind of shot off up the road, um, <laughs> pretty quickly because they were trying to make up lost time from the slow start and you know we talked about that in previous episodes but um the pace groups do often set a a pretty fast pace after sort of getting away from the start line because they're they're rapidly trying to get onto whatever the goal pace is um so yeah i was happy enough to kind of let the um the 320 group go i could sort of see them off in the distance they weren't a huge amount of um space ahead and yeah over the first couple I think it actually took me a couple of k's to catch up to the 330 group which was interesting because after the first kilometer I pretty much kind of knuckled down to pretty close to goal pace it wasn't too far off um 445 kilometer pace no you weren't so I've actually got your splits up on the screen at the moment so your first 5k it was saying 447 pace 
Yeah, and that's 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 probably about right. I, th- I think um, somewhere between four forty seven and four fifty pace for the first five kilometres. Um, and look, perceived effort wise, it didn't feel very hard, and my breathing was very comfortable. Um, I was ticking along pretty well, but even inside the first three to four kilometres, I could start to feel my quadriceps, especially, just felt kind of a little bit bizarrely tight Mm. um so that was kind of a bit disconcerting and at that time I actually because you remember how I had the two views set up on my watch I had the average pace view which was actually pretty good the average pace was was nice because um after the slow start you could just sort of see your average pace just gradually working down closer to goal pace and it wasn't sort of jumping all over the place so that was good but after I felt my legs feeling not the best I had a bit of a sneaky look on the second view which was the heart rate view and I think within the first uh three or four kilometers my heart rate was already in the high 150s which was a really really bad um sign um it should have been much lower than that um and had been much lower than that in all of the kind of previous training and tests and other sort of things that I'd done to kind of get an idea of um, what my goal pace was going to be. Um, so, yeah, at that point I was I switched back over to pace because I, I just don't want to look at that. <laughs> I didn't want to look at it and I was still – I went into positive thinking mode and um, to some extent I think thinking positively might have not have actually been the best thing to do at that point. I probably should have thought um, alarm bells, you need to really back off um, straight away um, and it's not going to be your day and just, you know, go for a uh, for, go for a 42K jog. Yeah. Um, but I was trying to convince myself that I might come good mm-hmm. and, you know, I heard, I'd like you, you hear those stories about people who go through bad patches in marathons and then you feel good again and yeah. I must admit, I haven't heard too many stories where people were starting to feel bad in the first five kilometres. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, I've heard one. I, reckon, I can actually remember, do you, do you remember the Australian runner Lee Troop? Oh, yes. Who was an Olympian? Yeah. Yep. And I'm pretty sure in, I think it was the Beijing Olympics um, in, that was 2008, wasn't it? Uh, um, yeah, I think it was, yep. I'm pretty sure he reported like his quads being smashed within the first 10 kilometres of that marathon and I remember at the time thinking how could that be like like what's what's going on to to have that effect and that was kind of how I felt in the early stages of the race but Mm. yeah nonetheless I tried to think positive and just thought well I'll just I'll just try and relax as much as possible and um uh just kind of work just trying to settle down into an even pace Mm. and and I did manage to settle down into a fairly even pace which I think my splits would probably um confirm yeah, look, you, you honestly did so the first half again I have it up here and I was um on on the socials letting people know how you were going along the way so you, you know you went through 10 k's in 48 32 454 average 15 k's your next split 112 40 for the whole 15 but mm-hmm. the 5 k split was 2407 so you were back to yep. 449 and at this stage I was like you're killing it like you've yeah you know, you're doing so well. 20Ks, you know, 2440 for 456. 
and yeah, even it was starting to unravel at that point actually yeah <laughs> so look maybe it wasn't your end but at my end I was still like yep. oh you know maybe it's not still looking pretty good and I had my pace calculator on and then you went through half in 142.55 and I think I plugged that in and it, it gave you a um, I think it was like a Two, sorry, a three twenty-eight, and I thought, well, hey, that, yep. that's still like a five or six-minute PB. This is still yeah. going well. Oof! Take us through what happened yep. next. Yeah, well, look, I, I was pretty much, truth be told, I was pretty much knew I was done at about fifteen kilometres because um, just to kind of maintain, and I was slowing down um, during between fifteen and twenty k, but I just thought, ah, oh, well. I've come this far, I might as well try and see if I can maintain a half-decent pace to halfway and then I'll kind of reassess um, to that point. So, yeah, I was working harder than I should have been um, through that um, through through that section. Um, and, yeah, by the time I got to halfway, um, I saw, saw my brother, he was out there doing support crew, doing an amazing job like he did last year. And, yeah, there was a section where there was a bike path beside the course and, yeah, he was just rolling along there and I just said, uh, it's not going to be my day today. And um, the goal has now changed to finishing because um, at that point my legs were really, really kind of beat up. Um, and it wasn't – it's not the same kind of – we were talking about this just before we started recording, but it's not the same sort of feeling as mm. bonking. Yeah. Um, this was just literally, yeah, legs were just not playing ball. They, they didn't want to run anymore. Um, they were really quite sore. It kind of felt like what it felt like in the last, I don't know, seven or eight kilometres of the marathon last year. And, you know, it's okay for your legs to be beat up with less than 10Ks to go in the marathon, but if they're already beat up and gone, like from really from about 15 kilometres, um, you know that you're not going to be able to hang on to anything mm. uh, like what you thought you were going to be and you pretty much kind of reassess how you're going to either either don't finish or make your way to the finish in the in the best way that you can. So, and what was so going yeah. on around you, like people around you, any, any others in distress like you? Were you just um, going further and further back and feeling like you were, you know, sinking yeah, in quicksand? <laughs> yeah, look, there's, there's always the odd, odd person um in the first half of the race who like comes comes a cropper before the halfway point but where you really start to see um the carnage set in is from about 26k particularly at melbourne like you 26k is the about the turnaround at, at elwood when you head start heading back towards the city so you've, you've kind of got 10 miles to go at that point and yeah after I got to halfway I was after briefly considering asking my brother for his tram ticket so I could get it get it jump on the tram and just go back to the uh the hotel I thought oh well I'll just jog down to the halfway point and then reassess if I still feel like I can keep running um then so I did jog down to um the 26k point and then I basically said well the only way I'm going to get to the finish here because my body was just not playing ball would to be to walk run um actually yeah walk run to the finish um and so that's what I did and I, and at that point I I well earlier than that actually I switched over to just my heart rate monitor view and I thought I really need to look after myself here cuz mm. obviously things are not going according to plan so my walk run strategy became um walk until my heart rate dropped back into the aerobic zone so sort of less than 140 um, and then kind of jog along for as long as I could until the heart rate sort of spiked back up to um, uh, closer to the red zone. Um, and, yeah, I'll, I'll go through 
like heart rate comparison between last year and this year. But um, even in those run walk sections, like the little jogging sections, and I was running pretty slow, like probably slower than six minute kilometer pace. Um, my heart rate was jumping back up close to 160, even in those little jogging segments. So and how did you? I was feel? really pretty careful from there. And like, were your legs still shot even after you'd had oh, the walk? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Legs were gone. Yeah, there was every time. Every time I finished a walking section and did another little shuffling, jogging section, it was harder and harder because my legs were um, not getting any better. Mm. Well, you can um, see it in your so splits as well. Basically, the walk run. <laughs> yeah, the walk run just allowed me to get to the finish. Um, and yeah, as I said, uh, that became that became the goal. So it was a different goal: mm. get to the finish line um, and keep the the streak intact. So streak of two. I do have a question for you. So your K, also your your K per or pace, thirty Ks, seven oh twos, thirty six, seven thirty, forty Ks, eight twenty two. But then the last two Ks were six thirty. Was there a bit of an MCG hero sprint? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't describe it as a hero sprint, but I thought given once I got to forty k, I thought I'll at least try and jog home the last um, <laughs> two kilometers, which I actually didn't manage to do. I, I still had to have a little walk on um, Flinders Street, but um, yeah, I did manage to run probably jog home the last um, the last kilometer or so. Um, during which time I was overtaken by the 410 pace group. Um, so, And I tried to tack onto the back of them, but I just couldn't keep up. They were going too strongly. <laughs> they were going too fast for me. At that point. Um, and look, you know, I, I ended up running 412 and I've got, you know, uh, that was obviously um, not what I set out to do. And there's, no, there's nothing wrong with running a four-hour marathon or a five-hour marathon or whatever it is that you do, but... Um, it's definitely preferable to do it in a way that um, you're comfortable and in control and your body's not shutting down on you the whole way. So, um, And I could see those sort of people passing me um, and, you know, they would have set out at a much more genteel um, and sensible pace and, uh, yeah, they were doing fine. Like, you know, they were, they were having a good, healthy enjoyable marathon experience which um which i wasn't <laughs> oh. but i did try and maintain my sense of humor and i think say. that's important i love that uh, you do have your sense of humor that's still intact so did you find any friends out on the course anyone that felt sorry for you in your <laughs> yeah, moment of absolutely. complete gloom and doom uh yeah well no look it wasn't honestly it wasn't that bad um yeah i don't want to kind of make it make it out to be worse than it really was because yeah it was it, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was an enjoyable experience, but it wasn't a horrible experience because I kind of pulled the, uh, pulled the, pulled the lever on, well, you're not going to be able to run to the finish. And if you tried to, you're probably going to hurt yourself. So doing the run walking kind of meant that I wasn't like in distress, but there are a lot of people out there who are in distress mm. and, um, I passed, um, at least six people who had actually collapsed and were being assisted by either ambulance or first aid or volunteers or even some just some spectators um, on the side of the road who kind of were helping people and calling ambulances and that kind of thing. So mm. I think um, probably the, the best thing that I did was kind of to shut it down at halfway and realise it wasn't going to happen and, and just not try and, you know, you know, the whole no pain, no gain thing, there wasn't going to be anything to be gained for me for, to try and push on. Mm. Um, I could have ended up being an ambulance case given given what was going on and that certainly does happen to a lot of people. I actually found that quite distressing, like watching people um, 
who are collapsed and you know in the recovery position and mm. not looking um, not looking very good at all. So you know it is just a hobby, and yeah. um, we whilst we kind of pull it back. we're passionate about it and we take it seriously, like it's not worth hurting yourself um, to you know, try and achieve some arbitrary goal that you've set yourself. No, no, look, I definitely agree on that. But um, so I think the- But friends, yes. Sorry, I got got (laughs) distressed. Well, I actually got overtaken by a guy dressed as a a pink fairy (laughs) at about 39 kilometres and I asked him if I could borrow his wings, but he said he needed them to get to the finish. (laughs) Oh, So I thought that he, he was one of my friends and he, he actually got interviewed in the MCG afterwards. I, I saw saw him after I went over the finish line. Um, so, yeah, he made a few friends out there, which was good. Mm. And, yeah, I had a couple of walks with, with a couple of people who were very encouraging about um, just kind of making the finish and, yeah, lots of encouragement for the sidelines and, you know, I think it's actually important when you're running the marathon to try and engage. I think I said this the other day, engage with people who are, out there supporting you and uh, yeah, it's nice when you've got your if you enter earlier you can get your name on your bib um because i had my name on the bib you know people call out and encourage you by your name Mm. which is which is actually helps um and it's good to give people a bit of encouragement back like especially the kids who are out there you know with their parents like they get a kick out of when you acknowledge them or give them a high five and that kind of thing so Mm. it's a bit of a kind of a two-way street um it's good to kind of acknowledge the support um, when you're out there, yeah. especially when you're struggling, but even if you're not as well. Yeah, I think that's such a, one of the nice things about, as I said, you know, before running, it brings so many people from all walks of life together. So, which is, you know, I guess you didn't achieve your goal, but you certainly got so much more out of it that you probably didn't anticipate when you first went in. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. And look, you know, I'm happy that I finished, but I'm not one of those people who says you should finish at all costs or that, you know, finishing when you're truly distressed is actually a good thing um i think it's fine to finish if you're not going to be doing yourself any um lasting harm but uh yeah having seen a number of people just um falling over it's that was probably a key takeaway for me is like yeah it's all very well to finish but don't do it at any cost so i think the question on a lot of people's tongues is what on earth happened like Uh, do you know well yeah i i think so um I, I mentioned in look, you know, obviously the the taper period didn't go smoothly, and there are a number of kind of warning signs that um, were kind of showing up that would, if I'd probably taken more attention to them, would have alerted me to the fact that I really needed to go into this marathon with a very different strategy than the one that I did. Um, I still went in with the let's try and run somewhere near goal pace. Um, and run a PB, and if I'd paid more attention to those lead-up warnings, I think I would have approached it very differently. So obviously I had the calf tightening up, um, and that was an issue in three weeks prior, um, and that was probably the first alarm bell. Um, The other one which I did actually mention um, that I noticed in the week prior was um, my heart rate was starting to go up quite a lot more um, at very uh, what were um, easy paces on a couple of runs in the in the week prior to the marathon, mm. and just to give you a, a rough idea, I was probably running twenty to twenty five seconds per kilometer slower um, than what I was 
um, like only two weeks before. Um, so that was kind of like a that was why I sort of said you know the heart rate doesn't lie. Yeah. Um, and it did actually occur to me in the final week that I should probably go and do another MAF, another math test. Mm. Um, and the one that I'd done, I think four weeks out, was sort of indicating that I'd probably be able to run about a 324 marathon, which was really encouraging. I suspect if I'd done one in the final week, it would have been nothing like that, <laughs> um, which would have given me some data to say, well, okay, you're not going very, very well, you're regressing. Um, perhaps you need to revise the way that you plan on on running this race and depending on what that number was, I, I probably would have um, yeah gone in with a very different pacing strategy from the start. And look, having said that though, I think... I still would have had a probably still would have had a rough day, um, even if I'd gone out um, gone out a lot easier. I think, given the fact that my my muscles and body was kind of you know showing signs of wanting to shut down within the first five k's, I, I think probably no matter what I would had have done, um, I still would have struggled a bit on the day. So, is this a case of overtraining, external factors, yep. or all of the um, above? Yeah, look, it's very. I think it's very hard to like last year. Last year, I mentioned mentioned this a few times. We've talked about the fact that I physically cooked myself <laughs> a bit in the lead up, um, but I think probably the result that I had would say that I managed to recover from that bit of overtraining by doing three weeks of really gentle jogging before the marathon because um, I still had a good result last year. Um, and this year, I don't think I physically cooked myself. I, I did make a couple of mistakes, which we've talked about along the way, but um, I think it was more um, uh, more on the stress and emotional side of things that I cooked myself. Mm. Um, and I did mention in the lead up that there were a couple of external stresses that were unrelated to running that had kind of popped up and... Uh, yeah, uh, stress and stress is a kind of a very cumulative thing and you can be kind of, you would know this as well given um, some of the things I know that you've been through that you could be like juggling four or five really quite difficult things that are causing you stress and be fine but then like the sixth thing that comes along could be the one that tips you over the edge Yeah, um, and I feel like uh that's kind of what happened to me so i had a few things going on and then there was a couple of extra ones that kind of lobbed up at the end and then it was like uh yeah i, th I think they're the ones that probably um were the straw that broke the camel camel's back so to speak mm. so um i think uh we'll do a full episode on stress because uh, yeah I, I don't think it's given enough attention than you know from what it should be like you know we talk about we live in a stressful environment we've all got busy stressful lives but I think until you've gone through what it actually means to have you know your cortisol levels just through the roof and then you, yeah. you've hit adrenal overload I don't think you realize how dangerous it actually can be and you know I certainly didn't understand how dangerous it could be until I went through it and then to hear what you're describing you know, I completely am so empathetic because I, I know exactly what it means but I, I can honestly say that prior to going through this I would have been like oh come on Brian like just come on seriously surely you're not that stressed like nothing yeah. is that bad and I I think we're very like quick to dismiss oh well, just get over it when yeah. the stress when you're already stressing yourself but doing the training and then you've got all these other external stresses it, it can put you in a pretty dangerous state yep 
Yeah. And it, look, you know, and you can sort of see what's happened to me. I was going so well, so three, well, I know. three to four weeks, four weeks out. Um, that once you got, I think almost, I would have to say, I reckon that's overstress. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I read is, this. It's um, more, more detrimental than overtraining, I'd have to say, oh, after having this experience. No. So it's um, funny you say that. So I was going through my notes uh, from my doctor, and as I said, we'll unpack this quite a lot in another episode. Yeah. But she has written a quote on some of my notes, and I love it. I actually should pin it up. And it says, um, This is not worth raising my cortisol over. <laughs> and it is. It is absolutely spot on and it's, you know, something I'm very, very cognizant of coming into, you know, I've got two weeks until I leave for New York and, yeah. you know, work has definitely been getting busier and I'm saying to myself, no, I'm, I'm not going to allow myself to get caught up in amongst all of this. You know, I need to put other mechanisms in place so that I don't get caught up in other people's stress and that's often what happens is, you know, you get caught mm -hmm. up in other people's stress, you take on their stress you're doing these huge training loads and you just, you fall apart. And uh, sounds like that's what's happened. Yeah, that's right. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I'd say that's definitely what's happened um, and I will be following up on a little bit of that um, in the weeks ahead. Mm. Um, and, yeah, kind of like uh, other, other warning signs that I suppose I didn't pay enough attention to that were kind of indicative of that that was what was going on was probably yeah a prolonged period where I wasn't sleeping super well or super consistently so probably not getting good quality sleep and certainly not enough sleep um and as actually weirdly I'm not the kind of person who actually weighs themselves very often um but I did notice maybe four weeks ago I thought I feel like I've actually put on weight and I'm thinking of oh, been like running 80Ks a week, um, like I shouldn't be putting on weight. So, um, yeah, I did weigh myself and I'd actually actually had gained a couple of kilos, which doesn't sound like a huge amount, but in the context of, yeah, you're training for a marathon, you wouldn't necessarily think that you were going to put on weight. Mm. And it did feel like I was, you know, putting on a bit of belly fat, which is definitely a sign of, um, yeah, when you're stressed, you tend to, um, your body just goes into survival mode and says, uh, let's, let's, let's save all of our um, nutrients and store them because we're obviously going through stressful times. So that's just that sort of survival instinct that your body, your body goes into. Mm. So, so yeah, in hindsight, that was another one that I probably didn't pay enough attention to mm. um, that I would have in the future. And, you know, I've kind of, I'm a little bit, you know, the, the one thing I would give myself a smack over the head for is, yeah, I'm trying to largely follow Phil Maffetone's method, but really I didn't pay enough holistic attention to all of the things that he says are important. Like, you know, running running the aerobic heart rate is a really critical one, but it's only one out of about eight things that he kind of puts down as things that you need to be attentive of to make sure that you um, stay healthy um, and are able to continue to, yeah, A, be healthy but, B, maintain your kind of athletic performance as well. Mm. Well, I think uh, it's probably maybe our next episode then. We'll unpack this this stress element and look at Dr. Phil and look at, I guess, my experience. You've now had this experience um, and then, you know, even some of the research and the science behind it all because it's it's a real thing. And as we yes. saw from you yesterday that uh, it you actually there's nothing you can do about it once your body goes into that fight or flight mode um yep. 
you know, and I'm sure the body's going, well, it's great you want to do a marathon, but uh, <laughs> this is this is not cause for survival. We're shutting down. No, exactly. And yeah, you're right. It's That's the perfect way to describe it. There is nothing you can do about it. And it was quite strange as it was happening to me. It was almost like I was observing myself from the outside. It was just really kind of bizarre. Um, and yeah, it wouldn't have mattered how much, um, yeah, I'd tried to kind of push on. It wouldn't have made any difference. The body was just saying, no, it's not going to happen today. So um, mm. yeah. Hey, should I quickly run through heart rate data? Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I think, I think this is really instructive. Um, so 2017 marathon, 5K, I average, the first 5K, I averaged 5.13 kilometre pace. Mm-hmm. And my heart rate average was 140. Um, 2018, uh, my pace was about 450-ish, I would say. Um, so, you know, it's a bit faster, but not ludicrous compared to the training I've done and all of that. No, but training heart- indicated you were fit enough to do that. Correct. Um, heart rate average for the first 5K, 147. Mm-hmm. That's not good, mm-hmm. especially when you consider the first K is run at like five and a half minute kilometre pace. Um, so I was already well into the 150s in the first 5K, which mm. is not good. Um, 10K, I was a 5.03 pace in 2017. Heart rate was only 147. Uh, 450 pace again this year, 152 heart rate. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, uh-oh. <laughs> and last year, 15K, 5.08 kilometre pace, 150 heart rate. Um this year, 451 kilometre pace, 159 heart rate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> Last year, 20K, uh, 508 kilometre pace. Oh, nice and even. Um, 151 kilometre, well, sorry, 151 heart rate. This year, 457 kilometre pace, 162 heart rate. Um, so, yeah, I was well and truly into the red room. And overall, like in 2017, I only spent 18 minutes in kind of like the red zone that I'd set up, which was sort of like about 160 or above. And even though I pretty much stopped chasing my goal at halfway this year, I spent 59 minutes in the red zone. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's really instructive of you know, heart rate does not lie. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. It wasn't a good day for you yesterday, but you are now two out of two. You've got eight to go to become a Spartan. So I think for me the question is like what's next? Do you you pack up your toys and run away and never return? Do you have some time out? Like where's your head at? Uh, look, I must admit my head on the day when you actually asked me that question on the the Sunday, which I thought was pretty cruel, um, (laughs) I I was a bit undecided because I wasn't feeling all that happy about it. but, uh, yeah, we're recording today like one day after on Monday and I'm definitely not um, throwing the toys out of the cot. Uh, I don't know. I'm not definitely not setting a goal in the immediate term other than, you know, after every marathon you should have a break. Like that, that just makes sense. So I'll be having probably four weeks off running. Yeah. Um, Completely? Like you won't sorry, you actually asked me a jog or...? Uh, no, I don't think I don't think I'll run for four weeks. However, you did ask me how my body was, and my body, because I did the run walk from twenty six k, I'm actually less sore than I was last year. 
Um, so it's possible that I may recover a little bit faster than last time. But yeah, I mean, I'm in no hurry to start running again. So it'll probably be a four week um, break where I'm just doing walking. Um, and I've got a few other projects that I want to work on that are not running related. So, um, all that time you're uh, going to get taking back that, you know, seven to eight hours a week that I've been putting into running training and putting it to some other purpose will actually be kind of good, I think. Mm. Um, and after that, it'll basically be a bit of, goal-free running, which is something I definitely recommend to anyone. Um, yeah, just get back to enjoying going out for a jog um, a few days a week um, in November and just make sure that, yeah, you're feeling healthy and feeling relaxed and, you know, running feels good again and that's pretty much the the goal at the moment is just to get back to some enjoyable goal-free running mm. um, before Christmas. Do you know, you and I could not be any more different to that because – I look, I don't love racing, but God, I love having a goal. <laughs> so I think I would probably, without a goal, I don't know if I would really do anything. I'm not sure if I'd enjoy goal free running all that much. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really do. Like, I, I think I mentioned I've just enjoyed this process of running because mo- of training for the marathon because most of it is just, you know, pretty relaxed, nice, um, comfortable running. So, um, I mean, yeah. I, having a goal is good and that sort of makes you push yourself a little bit more and do a little bit more than what you would otherwise. But, um, yeah, if I, if I didn't enjoy going out running every day, I, I wouldn't be able to do it just because I had a goal. Mm-hmm. That, that wouldn't make any sense to me. Do you think that you will, you know, put this bad experience or bad's, bad's not bad, but such a harsh word, but, you know, experience that didn't go to plan behind you and look for a, another marathon closer? So obviously there's Melbourne next October, but consider, yeah. you know, a July or an April in Canberra or is, yeah. is it still too well, early to tell? Uh, look, you know, I'd actually thought about Canberra before um, running Melbourne on Sunday as being a potential to run another marathon. Um, I think if I did run it, and I'm definitely not committing to running it at the moment, but I think if I did run it, I would do it as a with no goal time, if that makes sense. Yep. So you go back to having say, an enjoyable experience. Yeah, and... Um, I would actually probably run it um, with <laughs> probably run it with my um, heart rate monitor on, um, and probably run it in a similar way to I did that Flinders Islands race where um, I stayed in my aerobic zone for probably the first fifteen k or something that day. So if I went to Canberra and ran the marathon there, I might even run to halfway um, aerobically, and then if I'm feeling good, then maybe push on to the finish. But um, yeah, it had crossed my mind that I might run Canberra, but I didn't think I would do it as an all-out um, effort. Mm. Um, it would be more just to, yeah, go and enjoy it and um, use it as part of a test of overall kind of aerobic fitness rather than doing it as a as a time trial, um, trying to chase a time. Um, and I think, you know, even I think even for Melbourne next year, I would probably modify my approach. Like it's it's good to have a goal, um, but I think I would not set my goal time until much later in the piece okay. and that would give you mentally more um, flexibility to make the change if you need to late because um, I think I'd just sort of locked in around that goal so it became much harder to kind of change my mind about that even though there was kind of things happening in data that I was recording that was saying that that might not be a good idea anymore. Mm. I think if you kind of leave your setting your goal much later in the piece, 
um, that might be a more sensible way to approach it and just let the um, focus on doing really good training um, and then let that process of training emerge into a goal time, if that makes sense, Yeah, rather than sort of setting one at the start. I think that's an interesting topic because, you know, I think the advice that you're giving there, certainly an elite is not going to do that. They are goal and performance driven. But, you know, for the rest of us who are everyday runners who have got so many other things going on in our life, as you said before, running is a hobby and it's meant to be something that's enjoyable. Like for me, it's my time to just get away from the stresses and have like this time of meditation. So, you know, take that pressure off you and just go back and enjoy it. Yeah, I think so. Um, and look, you know, I, I've kind of got this feeling that if I approached it that way, I might even end up going better mm. um, in a strange sense because, yeah, you're probably also then taking away another little stress that you put on yourself to try and achieve the goal. Um, if you just kind of let the training guide the goal, then you're not going to be thinking so much about um, trying to hit particular time goals because um, mm. yeah we've all got enough going on in our lives so <laughs> why, why make your your hobby another stress like the running's supposed to be as dr mark um, says running is supposed to be recovery yeah no exactly hey a question on your training uh now yep. that you're in a very philosophical sort of frame of mind yep. would you change anything or were you pretty happy with how this marathon block went um i would change a couple of things um and i'm, I'm obviously going to give this a bit more thought after I've had a bit more time to kind of reflect on it and look back at the look back at my data that I've collected like it's one of the advantages of the modern age we've got so much data to to look at <laughs> um but I think um the the one that I highlighted that uh wind sprint session that I did one of and didn't do any more of I don't think I would bother putting um any more pure speed work into my program in the future, at least for the marathon, mm-hmm. um, I think the um, the five k race pace type training is definitely enough. That plus some strides and you know doing a few of those little short hill sprints. So I, I like a lot about what I did in this this kind of training block that I've just sort of completed. Um, so I think the one thing I would definitely do is yeah, not put in not put any really hardcore anaerobic speed work into the program at all. Um, and I would probably leave the introduction of the 5K um, interval-type training or fartlek or whatever form that you do it in, I'd probably leave that a little bit later um, and make sure I didn't do that for too many weeks because I, I think I was talking to this with, about my brother yesterday and he's like, oh, you know, maybe the um, maybe that, that had an impact as well. But I, I think it definitely showed after a few weeks of doing that kind of training my heart rate um, was actually dropping and I was running a lot faster on my easy runs. So you could sort of see the physiological effect of it. Um, I guess the question for each person that, and, you know, for coaches training other people is to kind of work out how much of that kind of training is enough to give you that little bit of stimulus um, without kind of um, cooking yourself. And mm. I think I was pretty close to getting that right, but I'd probably just delay the introduction of it a fraction more because um, I did start that fairly early. I'll have to go back and check exactly when that was, but, yeah, might only do like six weeks of that. And what about the number of long runs and how far you went? Were you pretty yep. happy with with that? Uh, I think I think not. I, I think I probably one of the things I want to work on for the, the next build-up 
to whatever that is, is actually getting a few more longer runs in the bag earlier. Um, and that's partly because, yeah, I'm, you know, I, d- I don't think this kind of really, these longer events are really my sort of natural strength, at least at the moment. So um, one area that I can still definitely improve on is to continue to build up my endurance and my aerobic base. And one of the things I contemplated that I think I might have even messaged you about was earlier in like a base building phase doing um, essentially some, you know, almost what I did in the marathon, doing some run-walk in the early parts of the training. And and that would actually give me the flexibility to go out on some trails that are probably a little bit more interesting um, that I wouldn't be able to run over if I was trying to run, you know, for an hour and a half or two hours, say it was, you know, early to mid during a build-up because they would would cook my heart rate too much. Um, But if I went out and did those earlier on in the program and just walked up all of the hilly sections and sort of ran the other sections, I reckon that would be kind of a nice way to get some earlier base building and spend some more time on my legs um, without actually, you know, getting over my heart rate um, limit and dipping into the anaerobic zone. I think that some of that kind of really simple base building, more walking as walking and hiking, I suppose you'd call it, um, as part of the build-up would be good. And I remember reading some articles about Japanese marathon running squads where they, like the first thing they do is go up to the mountains and spend like five or six weeks just hiking. Mm. Like they don't do any running. So part of their base building is just walking and hiking. So um, I think that might be something that I introduce as a, as a bit of a tinkering into the next program is mm. doing a bit of that, especially in the in the early base building part of the program. Mm, sounds like uh, your favourite part is ahead of you, just the tinkering. <laughs> I love the tinkering, yeah. you know me. It's like if you're, not, if you're not trying something new, like you're not going to learn anything, are you? So <laughs> No, well, look, all in all, it's, you know, it sounds like that, as I said, you're pretty philosophical about it wasn't your day, but uh, look, you still got to the finish line. I did. I did. And, I'm, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about it um, today. Um, yeah, it, it's only running, right? You can't afford to take it <laughs> too seriously. Um, so, yeah, learned learned a lot and, you know, giving giving myself the chance to have that little bit of run walking was I could even start mulling it over while I was still, <laughs> still out there. You'd gotten so, over it before you got to the finish line. <laughs> I, I think I almost had, yeah. I, I, I'd kind of processed a lot of it along the way and figured out where I'd potentially gone wrong and um, why it was why it had sort of happened. So, yeah, it wasn't, it, look, it wasn't a terrible experience. Um, uh, yeah, it's a learning experience. Yeah, no, look, that's really what the marathon is, character building, don't they say? Yeah, I suppose, but I don't know. I'm not sure if I agree with that. Like, uh, it sounds like you know that sort of implies you have to go and suffer and hurt yourself to build character, and uh, I don't know if that's necessarily (laughs) a healthy way to think about it. Um, But yeah, look, there's something to be said for for finishing. But as I as I mentioned earlier, I don't think people should get themselves to the finish line if they're going to do themselves some kind of either physical or um, emotional harm in the process. yeah, it is supposed to be enjoyable mm. um, and it is a hobby and, yeah, it doesn't need to be taken too seriously, I don't think. Well, as I said, two from two, you've done, your PB still stands at, what, three hours 35? Uh, three hours 36 oh, high oh, it is from a- last year. Okay. I, must, I must admit that this experience made me appreciate what I did last year <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> 
Um, so, um, yeah, that was definitely a, a silver lining. Um, Actually, it's a good point that you say there because as runners and, you know, competitive people who are always trying to achieve something, you, you run a race and instead of enjoying and savouring that moment, your first thought is usually, well, I can go faster. When's yeah, the next right. race? I've got to train harder. And as you're saying now, you're sitting back retrospectively looking going, actually, maybe that wasn't a bad run. <laughs> yeah. No, it wasn't. It was, yeah, I look back at it now and think, oh, gee, I, I did really well my first marathon last year. And, um, yeah, it can uh, it can be, be a very different experience. And I don't know if you remember, um, like I, I've always been a bit scared of the marathon and I think part of the reason was um, was that I'd watched quite a few and seen like, you know, the suffering and the mental ang- anguish of people who are having a bad day so many times that I was quite apprehensive before I did it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, well, whilst I was doing it last year, I was always sort of thinking, oh, you, you know, you can't count your chickens until you get to the finish line because you just don't quite know mm. whether it might happen to you. And, uh, yeah, this year it happened to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's any aspiring marathon runners listening, I think it actually is a good idea to go and watch a couple of marathons yeah. and, you know, watch all of the different pace groups come through um, and particularly watch people sort of in the last 10Ks and just have a think about, you know, whether you want to put yourself through that. Um, or And also the other thing you would think about is you've really got to make sure you're well prepared and um complete the event in quite a thoughtful way because um, you can't just kind of lob up and say, yeah, I'm going to run a marathon um, because it's a long way. Mm. No, it is a long way. <laughs> it's hey, a long way. I was just to add a thought, how's old man calf? Um, it's actually pretty good. I, d- I didn't really notice it um, during the run um, and I, I must admit the other thing I was reflecting on is I, I really don't think I've done any kind of structural damage to my calf i think it was just symptomatic of this overall stress response in my body um because yeah it was a little bit tight afterwards but everything else had sort of tightened up as well like my foot was tightening up my quads have tightened up um so yeah that's probably something for me to kind of mull over as well as um yeah did i did i actually injure myself or was that just part of the profile um of what had kind of happened um when i kind of got into this overstressed state before mm. the marathon yeah just a few needles yeah. popping up i don't i don't think i've picked up any injuries from the experience which is a which is a good thing mm. um what about this week so you just legs up relaxing lots of walking yeah, walking Charlotte the Wonder Dog. That's going to be my rehab. Oh, she's going to be so <laughs> happy that you're done with this marathon training. <laughs> <laughs> well, last last year I was, um, as I mentioned, my body's in a slightly better state than what it was um, last year because um, obviously I ran the whole way um, hard last time. But, yeah, last year when we were walking, the dog was kind of looking at me going, why are you walking so slow? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because it was, yeah, walking was quite painful last year. But, um, yeah, we just went out for a little walk before and, um, yeah, I was able to uh, get up and down some hills without doing the sideways crab walk um, and keep up a reasonable pace. So, uh, yeah, be enjoying that kind of walking recovery and and just taking it easy over the next week or so. And, you know, getting excited about your run. That's um, what I'm kind of getting focused on now. I know, so, uh, and I, I think a few episodes ago I had said, you know, if you have a good one, that I'm going to be full of confidence. And you've had a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, but no, you know, I uh, I'm learnt from you. And actually just it was so good on Sunday having done my long run the day before and I said live streaming and sitting in my pyjamas still at like 7.30 in the morning, which is unheard of, coffee in hand, watching the marathon. And I was actually just getting really, really excited watching all the splits and then just being reminded, as you said, to you know, not go out too hard, be conservative, come home hard. Um, it was it was exciting and my husband and I kept looking at each other going, that's going to be us in three weeks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so at this stage we're still all, all smiles and pretty excited about it. So yeah, uh, you, haven't, um, you haven't tarnished our dreams just yet. <laughs> good, good. And, yeah, we're actually going to do a second episode um Later this week, we'll be able to catch up on all of Lisa's training from the week prior um, and start talking through what you're going to be doing um, or not doing in your taper Mm, (laughs) as you um, head closer to the New York Marathon in less less than three weeks. Less than three weeks, yeah. So it's not long. Leave in two, races in less than three. So uh, it really is the final stretch and I'm I'm so excited. And yesterday was just making me more and more pumped. And I was actually uh, a bit jealous yesterday too because I definitely want to do the Melbourne Marathon being hometown. And I had a big smile on my face just watching you you run along and then listeners and Kevin uh, Liebethal who was on a couple of episodes ago. Yes. I think he finished in about 3.32, a bit off he his did. goal time as well. Yeah, he Kevin actually did really well to hang on because the conditions were actually quite tough. Um, yeah, I think at one stage he was on 3.18 pace, my brother was saying, because I said, why don't you track Kevin as well while you're out, <laughs> out on the bike? Um, so yeah, he had a, a tough last part of the race as well, but, um, he managed to hang on for 3.32, which is a fantastic time in the conditions. Mm, yeah. Well, well done to him and well done to everyone else that got out there and finished. And even if you didn't finish, gave it a go and, uh, pick yourselves up, have a good rest. Yes, absolutely. Set your sights on something else. Absolutely. Um, that might be a good time to call it a wrap, Lisa. Yeah, I think um, so. You go and enjoy some quality time with the dog. <laughs> I will. I will. Before we go, though, I might just add a little favour from listeners who've been um, enjoying what we've been doing. Um, it would be really helpful for us and the podcast if you could um, rate our podcast and also leave us a review on whatever platform that you're listening to us on. Um, that really kind of helps us um get up the rankings and other people can find the podcast and uh, engage in what we're doing. Um, and in addition to that, as a, as another small favour, maybe just tell someone else about it um, and, you know, grab their phone and sub- subscribe to them, <laughs> s- subscribe your friend to the Running Technique Tips podcast. Um, that would be much appreciated. And we also appreciate all the feedback and me especially. Um, we had on some of the social media, um, people were very kind and supportive um, when things didn't go that well for me yesterday. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you all. You have been listening to the Running Technique Tips podcast with Brian Martin and Lisa Biffin. We'll be speaking to you again later this week.